Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are excited that you are with us, that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Welcome to those who may be watching online. And um, we're just going to worship the Lord this morning. I love that the Bible says, I entered into his gates with thanksgiving into my heart and his courts with praise. Praise um, is something that we do regardless of circumstances because he's the ones who's worthy. And so um, this morning, will you stand with me as we begin our service to make much about Jesus? Um, The gathering of the nations will be to our great King. And so this morning, we are going to exalt his name together, and we're going to worship him. So Heavenly Father, we just come this morning. Lord, we are so thankful for your goodness and your kindness in our lives, Lord, that you have proven your great, great love for us through the cross, through Jesus, through him dying and raising from the dead. Lord, thank you for the power of the resurrection. It's what our belief hinges on, Lord, that he was raised from the dead. And Lord, this morning, we exalt the name of Jesus. We worship him and we magnify him. Our eyes are turned on you this morning, Lord, that where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. Lord, we lift up our eyes to you this morning to make Jesus great among us. Holy Spirit, would you come and move in us and through us and build us and cause us to grow in unity and love towards one another, Lord, that your name would be glorified in the earth, Lord. Let your kingdom come this morning among us. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
that good? Um, we're going to continue worship, but I just want to remind everybody uh, kind of what we do it, in our church is a little bit different sometimes than maybe what you've been used to. So if you're new or you've just been kind of doing it and maybe haven't noticed what we do, uh, we encourage during our worship time, we call this in one sense the ministry of God's Spirit. This is a time when by His Spirit, He wants to come and He wants to minister back to us. We worship Him. We lift Him up. But the Bible says that when we do that, when we come into His presence, He moves among us. It's 
part of what we see in the New, Te- New Testament church. So what we do is we make room. We have a microphone up here and in in an eldership couple up here, usually on this side. Um, today, that's Karen and I. It could be Alan and Diane, or it could be Dave and Callie Woodham. Callie, wave your hand. There you go. She's without the baby because my wife's got her. But what we want to do as we continue to worship, if especially we've been leaning into the ministry and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we saw something amazing happen at the end of our meeting last week. Y'all remember that? There was a tongue and an interpretation. It was beautifully done. It was, it was incredible. Uh, the person who gave, gave the interpretation, actually, um, if, if she told me she hadn't been in church in over two years. And this was her first day back into church. Just crazy how God works. That's Just so you know, that's not how I would have chosen to do it. <laughs> but it turns out the Holy Spirit actually believes he's God. So we just kind of, you know, we go along with that. So what does that look like? So if you're, if you're praying and you're worshiping and, you're, and you have a sense and God just wants to minister to you and it's, a, it's about you and your family, man, go for it. Let the Lord love on you. Let him work. Let him do things inside of you. He can do that completely without anybody's help. Amen. He's God and he's able to do that. But it may be you get a picture or a word or a scripture or something like that. And you feel like this may be more than just for me. All you have to do is just come to the front and share that with us. And then we'll make you come up here. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. We may ask you if you want to come up and share that because because it may be important that it's you that does it. But what we're really after is, Lord, we want you moving among us by your Spirit. And so if, if you come and share and say, hey, I feel like the Lord is doing this or saying this scripture or I had this picture, present that to us. And what we're doing throughout the week we've been doing this and then also this morning, we're making room and saying, Holy Spirit, we want to administrate. We want to make sure that this happens what it is that you are trying to accomplish this morning. Amen? We're going to get to the Word and preach and teach the Word. We do that every Sunday. We're going to get to that. But we want to take time during our worship and recognize this is also a time as we worship for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you have something or you sense something or if you're not even sure, come and talk to us and we'll just say, you know, just let us think about that, pray about it, see if the Lord gives more direction in that. And then we'll come and talk to you if you want to talk more about it after the service. And we'll process with you, especially if you're new, so you can get better at hearing the Lord and operating in the things of the Spirit. Amen? So as we worship, again, God's going to do amazing things. That Part of that is when two or more come into His midst, the Bible said we come in His name. He comes and He moves among us. So we're here and He wants not just to move in me, He also wants to move through me. So if that's you this morning, Come up and share with us. And so we're just going to jump right back into worship. So, Lord, we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in our community groups, what you're doing, Lord, in individuals. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our church, in our in, in this culture, changing our culture to make you normal. Holy Spirit, to make your move normal among us, Lord. Normal Christianity. That's our heart and our passion, Lord. Move among us. You're free to do that. Of course you know that. It's your church, and we serve at the pleasure of the King. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Just wanna speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus.
Marcy's going to share a word with us real quick. So as we've been worshiping this morning, I just keep hearing identity. We have a new identity in Christ. I know this week the Lord's been speaking to me personally about my identity in Him. It's not what anyone has said to me, negative, negative words, negative thoughts, even to myself. Our identity is in Christ and His love for us. And we should only allow His power and authority to speak those things to us, not what anyone else or the world says to us. And so I feel like there's freedom here today if we just allow Him to just speak the good things in His grace to us. Amen. So we're going to administrate that. And, what, and by that, I just want to, I'm just going to say the Lord is saying something to us. And what we, want, what we don't want to do is just clap our hands and go, yay, the Lord's talking. That's awesome. We love that the Lord's talking. The question is, what is He actually saying? And so that means for some of us this morning, as, as that word comes out, some, somewhere someone has spoken an identity about you, spoken to you about who you are, and it's not who Jesus says you are. But you need to make a declaration. You need to make a decision about who gets to define you. Amen? So I'm going to pray in just a second. And if that's you, would you just open up your heart and would you make that declaration? The words aren't magic. It's just making a decision in your heart to say, Lord, I'm not going to let, let this lie define me. I'm not going to let some person, who a leader in the past, who saw my immaturity define me by my immaturity. I'm not going to let some failure. I'm not letting any of those things define you. Lord, I'm going to let you define me. So as I pray, would you just open up your heart and make that declaration yourself and just receive that from the Lord this morning. So Jesus, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are the God who created us. Lord, Psalm says that we are we are in your pasture, Lord. We're the sheep of your pasture. We are not our own, Lord, the New Testament says. We're, we're bought, we're purchased with a price. And so, Jesus, we just declare that right now, that you are the only one who gets to define us. And, Lord, you define us with grace and mercy and kindness and goodness. Lord, when our heart has repented, when we come to you and said, Lord, I believe what you say about me. I believe that my sin no longer gets to, to define me. And as I repent, as I lay those things down and I say yes to you, Lord, I'm saying yes to who you are and all that you say that I am. So, Jesus, we just declare right now, we say yes to the identity that you've given us. We are sons of the Most High God. We are sons and daughters. We are heirs, Lord, because of what you did on the cross. And we receive that. And Lord, we cast down every lie, every imagination, everything that comes from the enemy, Lord. Everything that maybe even well-meaning people said that the enemy has used. We declare those things null and void in the name of Jesus. They no longer have power over who we are. And Lord, we begin to lean into what you've called us to be. We begin to lean into the mission. We begin to lean into the character and the nature and begin to live out who we are as sons in this world. So Lord, we just say yes to that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just continue to worship.
I just want to encourage you. I feel like the Lord has a question for us of like in this, um, from what she said of like about your identity, what are you choosing to yoke yourself with? Because Jesus said that his yoke was easy and it was light and it's not burdensome. And the reason why is because his yoke is not heavy when I'm yoked to him. And the question is, is what are you yoking yourself to? Because what I've learned in my own life is that the degree to which I listen to lies or empower lies or make the lies bigger than the truth is the degree to which I empower the liar. And the Bible says that the father of lies is the devil. And then I have a responsibility to take those lies and bring them captive into the obedience of Christ of what his word says over me, what he says over you, and that truth is what I yoke myself to, and that's when that becomes easy and it becomes light. And so for this morning, what is it that you need, who, who is it that you need to yoke yourself to in truth to release this burden of heaviness and to release this yoke of lies? Because... Um, the Father wants us walking in His peace and in His joy and in His life. And if that is being robbed from you, that is a tactic of the enemy. And so he, the enemy wants to try to move you from your position by the state sometimes that you will find yourself in. But you are never moved from your position in Christ. And so this morning, there is just this beautiful question. Who are you yoking yourself to? Who are you yoking yourself to? Because when I'm yoked to Jesus, all of his strength is mine. All of it. All of his truth is mine. And so this morning, let's do some yoking with Jesus. That might be a great title sermon. Yoking with Jesus, okay? Because it is, it's his yoke that we take that brings us the true rest and the true peace. So we're going to continue in the song and worship. And um, we want to, sorry, Dave's going to come do something. Yeah, I just want to clarify something too, again, because part of this is the Bible talks about we hear in, and we hear in part, like we prophesy in part, and it's connected to a, a direction God's trying to take us. And one of the things that I felt when all this was being shared is there, there is a part that you play. So often we've been taught as Christians, it's like, oh, the Lord's going to do it. You know, it's whatever he wants to happen is going to happen. That is ridiculous. That's not a biblical truth at all, right? But we've been taught that. So there's a part that you play. 
Jesus has done it all. His work on the cross, He said it's finished. But if you don't agree with Him, if you don't make that declaration and, t- and walk in that direction with your life, all of, that, all of what He done will not help you at all. So there's a part that you play. God will not do it for you. And it's important that you know that. So as we move forward in this, the, the Lord's speaking to whoever, if you want breakthrough in this, if you want to be free from these lies, if you want to be yoked to Jesus and not yoked to the problems and the challenges and the issues that you've had, you have to make a decision and you have to actually do something about it. You have to do that. So during this next song, we're going to worship. As we're doing this, do business with the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm making that decision. Speak to the enemy. Speak to the lies. Whatever. I rebuke you. You have no power in my life. You have to take authority. God's given it to you, but if you don't walk in it, then, then it's, it, you're not going to see the fruitfulness of it. Amen? All right. Go ahead, brother.
sufficient, Lord, Lord, to redeem and to heal and to set free this morning, Lord. We plead the blood of Jesus, Lord. It is the way to the Father. It is the blood of Jesus that made us righteous and holy and pure and clean for all time. Lord, we worship you. We honor you. We plead the blood this morning. Yeah, Lord, it is more than enough. It is more than enough. Yeah, Lord, there is salvation in no other, Lord, that is given among men under heaven, Lord, that would save us, Lord. It is Jesus. It is the name of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus. It is the perfect and only sacrifice that makes us righteous, Lord, that draws us in close to your presence, Lord. It has made a way for us to be restored to the heart of the Father. Nothing separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, neither hell nor death, Lord, no demon, Lord, no principality, Lord, no circumstance, Lord, separates us from the love of God that has been poured out in our hearts by the blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus this morning. Lord, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Lord, we worship you. Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, King Jesus. Yeah, Lord, we worship you. Yeah, Lord, we plead this blood that is precious, that is costly. Lord, we worship you. Yeah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Lord, we worship you. Amen. Amen. Some beautiful words this morning. I hope you feel good. I hope you feel like you've been drawn in close this morning. The truth is that he never leaves you. He's always with you. We just feel his presence um, among us and um, how he draws us in and draws us close. So will you just take a moment and turn your attention to the screen this morning? We want to kind of give you a little bit of an update of a great time that us ladies had. So, Amen. Ladies, did you have a great time Friday night? So we had a really good evening. Uh, we launched our Ladies um, Thrive for the Fall, 
And just stay tuned as we do more things together, y'all. It really is about how we thrive in community together. So a beehive thrives by who the, who the bees are that are in that, in that hive. And so um, they build and they bring a sweetness you know, that's full of nutrients. And so we look forward to you being a part of that with us. We've got a little bit of a setup at the back that you can kind of just check out a little bit about what we did. But it was primarily just about connection and being together and just beautiful testimonies from the evening of like, this is just what I needed. And, you know, I heard that multiple times through the night. I actually even said it for myself. So, uh, but just we look forward to you coming and having this sense of belonging and family and that you matter and you're a part of us. And you bring a sweetness to the hive. So, ladies, come join us next time we're doing something. If you're new with us this morning, we'd love for you to go to dothancf.com. Click on the connection card. I'm new here. We'd love to get in touch with you, know a little bit about your story. You hear about ours and the vision and the purpose where we're going in the future. And... um, I was going to say, it disappeared on me. Uh, Membership classes, um, we did 101 this morning, and Dave's going to come up and share about that as well. And we'll be finishing up next week with 102. So I just wanted to say real quick, we've been doing the membership classes. We started last week, and we did uh, uh, About Us, Membership 101 uh, today, and then Membership 102 will be next Sunday morning at 8.30. So if if you're new to DCF and you want to learn more about how you can fit in, that's part of what you do. But also... Um, about 14 years ago, January 2010, Karen and I showed up here, and we, we recognized God had a journey for all of us to go on as, as, as a church and as new leaders. And so we began that journey, and one of the questions we asked was about membership. Lord, do we make that official? Do we go big on it? And it's not like DCF didn't have a membership before we got here. But the sense we felt was the Lord wanted to do something organically before he did it organized. Let me say that again. He wanted to do something organically and authentic, the real thing, what Bible talks about membership before we actually did it organically but, or organized. But that time of organized is coming soon. So if you've been a part of DCF for years and you would consider yourself a member, um, we want to give you an opportunity to make it official. So we, we, we joke because we said this to our eldership team. We're like, we would really like for you guys to become members of the church. I think it will be a great model for the rest of the people at DCM, <laughs> right? So part of this is, again, we're just going to make it official. And so what we're going to do is we're going to ask everybody who, who really feels like and agrees with our membership, you know, what we're talking about in our membership, and we're going to talk more about that, and, and, and we're going to do this in about three or four weeks. We're going to ask you guys to come together on a Sunday morning. We're going to make a big deal about it, and we're going to declare it. And then from there, we're going to begin membership classes on a regular basis for new people to come in so that they know what what we're expecting of them as leaders and as other members and also what the what you guys as new members can expect of us as a leadership team and it's a really big stinking deal God thinks it's a big deal so um, come out and be a part of our membership uh, class 102 next week and we'll give you more updates as we go forward Amen. We love you guys. We want y'all to be a part of the hive. All of you guys can be part of the hive too. So you know. So, um, and then the next thing for us, you guys, is to know we are updating our kids ministry rooms. Can I get a woot woot about that? Um, so if you would set some intentional time aside this week to help us with painting and um, kind of like just moving things around a little bit, we would love that. Your skills and your help and. Uh, would be amazing. We are going to be working Monday through Friday. We have to finish it by Friday. We've got time set up through the daytime as well as through the evening after work if you're working. So it's one of those times of like if 
every little does something, then it's a lot gets accomplished. So um, you can see me after the service. I know there's Gay Lynn. Actually, you can see Gay Lynn as well and Kristen. So they're kind of the ringleaders of this thing, and I'm a, I'm a helper. So, um, But we would love for you to be a part of that. And there's generosity is just a mark of this house. It always has been. You can give online. Um, that's what most people do, or you can give in the box up front. And we're going to dismiss our youth this morning. Woot, woot, sixth grade and up is going to be going with Callie and Diane. And our kids, littles, are going to be going through the double doors at the back, and we're going to be having a great time. We know that there is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. We will say it over and over again to emphasize that the Holy Spirit lives in our kids and loves them and wants to train them as they're growing up little and mid-ages and through their teenage years so that they're hearing what he is saying to them to lead them as an individual person, but to emphasize the Lord is talking to them. And so he's communicating to them. There's more one way, more than one way of communicating than just talking. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about that in our um, class in here as well. So we'll be right back with our pastor's message. All right. Good morning, everybody. We are continuing a series this morning on spirit-led, and so today we're going to be talking about uh, practically spiritual. Uh, I, I was thinking through different titles for today's message. Naturally supernatural, supernaturally natural might be one as well. So there's just a lot of ways to think about this. But let me start with a story. Some of you guys know my story a little bit. Um, I, was, I was involved in the martial arts at an early age, uh, studied for a long time, became fairly proficient um, I figured out that it turns out you don't actually have to fight. You, you, know, you know that you can. That's usually plenty, and you can walk away from a lot of things. But uh, one of my kind of heroes of martial arts was, of course, Bruce Lee, and he, he made a statement. It's really interesting. I'm going to put it up here for you to see it. He said, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. <laughs> and so um, there's this one of my favorite stories is uh, my instructor was teaching me how to, how to do a, a sidekick. And so um, turns out when you fight, the, the best thing to do is not kick above, you know, what you can keep balance and, you know, do. So now it's about this high for me. Back then it was way up there. <laughs> so I, now, now I just, I, I, I grab a stick. Let me just be honest. I'm like, I don't want to, I want to cheat as much as I can. But it turns out the better you, you know, the better you get at this, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And so my instructor was teaching me how to do a sidekick, and so he, he said, I want you to close your eyes. So we had a big bag there, and he said, I want you to close your eyes. So we'd gone through the form a hundred times. I knew how to do the kick, and, and he said, I want, you, I, I want to teach you something today, but it's not just about how to kick. I'm going to teach you how to kick, but I want to teach you something else. So he said, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to kick that bag. And so I closed my eyes, and I kicked the bag once, and then twice, and then three times, and he goes, that was a really good kick. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, nope, close your eyes. He said, kick it again. So I kicked it, you know, three, four, five, nothing, six. That was a good kick, Dave. I'm like, oh, okay, I see what we're doing here. <laughs> so eight, nine, ten, and it gets real quiet. And, and he said, and I'm just kind of standing there for a second. He goes, was that a good kick? And I, I wanted to say yes, <laughs> right? But I knew that the guy I was talking to, he was the master of our art, literally. His, his grandfather and great-grandfather had handed it down, father to son, father to son, so he was the best there could be at this art. And so I knew I couldn't lie to him. He knew whether it was a good kick. The question he was asking me was, did I know whether it was a good kick? And I said, it was. He goes, yeah. 
And then he looked, him, he looked me right in the eye like an Old Testament prophet. <laughs> and he said, do not lie to yourself. Because if you do, you will never rise above novice level. Never. And this is true in anything that you do. You want to learn how to shoot. You want to learn how to dance. You want to, if, you don't, if you lie to yourself, what will happen is you'll, you'll convince yourself that you're a good kicker <laughs> when you're not a very good kicker. And I mean, you guys know that's going to get you in trouble in high school, right? <laughs> so the whole point of that exercise wasn't just to teach me how to kick well. It was to teach me how to know whether I was kicking well and how to be honest with myself and appraise myself. And so the truth is, this is what so often the church has done. They've made this mistake. They've, they've done ministry to the point where we're so good at it we acknowledge that we're really, really good at it, but are you actually good at it? And one way you can ask is to talk about the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the question then comes, you know, um, have, have you, can you read your Bible? Have you become, do you have good character? And the answer is, yeah, of course. Do you serve? You know, the Bible talks about us serving. There are certain things we know the Lord's called us to. But my question to you is, how far into the things of God are you willing to go? And will you be honest about where you are now and where you want to be. Because here's the, here's the truth. It's the same way in the New, in the new Covenant. Same, th same thing in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you don't tell yourself the truth about where you actually are, as opposed to where you wish you were, you will always be a novice in the things of the Spirit. And part of the problem we see, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, most of what I've been speaking out of, led by the Spirit in our community groups that we've been talking about, is built around the letter, the first letter to the Corinthians that Paul wrote because they ask him some questions and he writes a letter to answer some of those questions. And when he gets to 1 Corinthians 12 where we talk about the manifestation gifts, he's answering questions about how you can do the Spirit, how you can operate in the ministry of the Spirit, what those gifts look like and how you should do it. And he goes through all of 1 Corinthians 12 and he sandwiches 1 Corinthians 13, which is the marriage chapter in the Bible. Everybody won't sit quoted, right? And, and, and if they knew, if people getting married knew that they're quoting a charismatic, you know, church message to a, a charismatic church, maybe they wouldn't do it. Now, the truth is that that chapter about love is still about love, but the context it's in is sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12, which is introducing how to do the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how he operates, what it looks like when he does, and then 1 Corinthians 14, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, about how he works in us together practically in a meeting or when we gather together or when we're out buying groceries or eating lunch or wherever we might be. So, so Paul writes this amazing letter. And in it, he sandwiches love, which is how we build the foundation of how we minister to one another. This morning, when those gifts were working, part of why we do them the way we do is to do them in a ministry of love, in unity, in service to everybody here. So that's why we got up and, we, and we're challenging you. Hey, there's a part that you play. It's a gift. It can feel like a challenge, and it is, but it's also a truth from the Holy Spirit saying, I want breakthrough in your life way more than you do, you have to also want it too. And again, going back to the story I just told a second ago, if you won't be honest about where you are and say, you know what, that's me actually. I really do need breakthrough in my life. I need breakthrough in this area. My marriage is, 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 is challenged. I've got some challenges with character issues. Lord, I want you to work in me. If you're honest about that, God is way more faithful than we are. So just as we lean into this, it's just a beautiful thing. Here's kind of how Paul put it. This is 1 Corinthians 2. 
He said, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So he's talking about a person who isn't moving, whose spirit, their own spirit hasn't come alive and now is in connection with the Spirit of God. And it's a process that you learn, just like how you learn how to walk, you know, before you learn how to run. The same thing is true about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You have to take it in steps. It's a process. You have to learn how to hear the voice of God. You have to learn how to differentiate God speaking to your spirit as opposed to you coming up with a thought in your own mind. Right? That's why it, it was interesting this morning. There was a differentiation saying there are, there are identities that people have tried to put on you that are not from God's spirit. It's not from who Jesus says you are. It's not the purchase price that he paid. So you have to decide, are those good things or do I need to dismiss them? Do I need to stand up and go, I'm not gonna listen to that. I'm not gonna be identified that way, right? I love my friend Greg. He and his wife, they joke around sometimes and she'll say things like, you know, all women do. It's like, oh, I just wish my hair would do better this morning, whatever. And so she starts a little bit of, you know, kind of going after herself. And Greg says, hey, Nobody gets to talk to my wife like that. Not even my wife. Isn't that cool? And, and that's really what the Lord is saying to us. He's saying to his bride, nobody gets to talk to my bride like that, especially my bride. Amen? It's good stuff. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 says, And I, brothers, when I, when I could not speak to you as spiritual, um, spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So he's saying that if you're not careful, what happens is if you're not willing to learn, willing to step out on faith, willing to grow, because everything we need has is, is, is been made available to us in Scripture. We can understand his character and his nature, his workings, all those things. We have to lean in and we have to differentiate people's view of that, the world's view, right? The natural view as opposed to the things of the Spirit. And it's not, there's some mystery, but it's not just mystery, Right? Part of this is God wants to, he wants to explain the mysteries to his people. So there's a tension in this. How much do you know about the Spirit? Head knowledge. How much do you know about the Holy Spirit? How much do you act on what you know about the Spirit? And that's the really big question. Because we're not just, you know, it's, we're not doing it because we know it. We, we're doing it because we know it and we've taken action. Because the Bible talks about the word belief is way different than what we think of it. In, in our world, belief is just a mental assent. I acknowledge that something is true. In, biblical, in, the, in the biblical context, belief is an action word. The way you know you believe is you took action on what you believed. That's how you know. It's a bit of a difference. So it's interesting, Romans 12, this is the New King James Version, says it this way. Do, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, your mind has to think differently. We talk about repentance and how, you know, you have to always be repenting. Repent, repent, repent. And if you're not careful, the vision is you come up here, you cry a big puddle of tears, and you're really, really sorry. So that's a part of repentance. But it's not the most important part. The most important part is, did that make you think differently? Because if you just come up and you're sorrowful, the Bible says there's a kind of sorrow that leads to actual repentance, and there's a kind of a worldly sorrow that doesn't. What is repentance? It's taking on a new mind, thinking like, the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. The question is, are you using that or are you using your own mind? It has to be submitted. You have to submit your intellect to the mind of Christ. And that's how the Holy Spirit works in us. So let's talk a little bit about your spirit because we don't do this justice in the church very often. Let me read that scripture again to you in 
um, in the New Living Translation, which is not a translation, it's a paraphrase. I just want to be clear about that. <laughs> Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. And this is what happens. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how do you find out? People are like, I, well, I wish I could just know God's will. Right? You ever heard that? You ever said that? Boy, I just wish I knew the Lord's will on this relationship or on this job or on whether I should move or whether I should do this. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. In other words, we can tell you how not to do it. <laughs> right? That's a good start. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You have to think like God. Because when you do that, then you'll know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So there's an interesting quote. Karen shares this. as a book she's read recently. Uh, probably not recently, but we just talked about it recently. And this is the quote. It's from a lady named Emma Stark who wrote Prophetic Warrior. I think she's Irish. She's an Irish prophet, recognized prophet in, in ministry overseas. Anyway, Roman, uh, this is what she says. You are not a physical being looking for a spiritual experience. Rather, you are a spirit having a temporary physical experience. So this is where so often people make a mistake. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you err in two ways. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Right? That's the two ways that you can get into error. And so look at this again. You're not a physical being. How do you know that? Because Scripture speaks to that. Scripture talks about you becoming new in Christ. Well, what, did, what do you think that means? He just forgives me of all my sin, but now there's no connection at all to the one who's forgiven me. Right? And some people treat salvation that way. It's like salvation was just a nice fix to take my guilt and shame, my sense of guilt and shame away. And now that that's taken away, I just live my life however I want to. Really? Because that's not at all what the Bible teaches, right? Listen to this again. You're, a physical being looking for a, uh, you're not a physical being looking for a spiritual experience. Rather, you are a spirit. See, this is the part people miss. What, what's going to happen? I preach funerals from time to time, and, and you always quote the scriptures about there's coming a day we're going we're to be caught up in the air with the Lord, right? Those who are asleep are going to be raised. You guys know this scripture. You've heard it a million times. But so often we just categorize that. I'm at a funeral, and these are the words that happen at a funeral. But we don't listen to what the Bible says. We don't read it and ingest it and grow and let it change the way we think. That's repentance. So what does that look like then? That there's coming a day when this world, this physical world, is going to take on something new. The old heavens, all of it's going to get burned up in a fire somehow, some way. We're like, you know, for years they taught that concept as proof that the Bible was true. Because what kind of fire is hot enough to, to burn up elements? That was the argument for thousand years or more. What fire can burn up elements? And I don't know if you guys remember this, but around the 1940s, somebody figured out that if you hit an atom hard enough, right, and shake it up and break it apart, that creates an element that burns, I mean, creates a fire that burns up elements. So the possibility didn't even exist as a truth until, 19, until the 1940s. But now we all know. So again, the Bible's always coming back and proving itself true. At some point, there has to be enough evidence for you to say, I believe that this is God's word, and this is what he says, and this is how he works. So 
the Bible talks in Ephesians 2 that what happens is you come alive when you, when you find Christ. When you give your life to Jesus and you receive salvation, something happens inside of you. The Bible says you get a new nature. You get, um, you get a new heart, right? It says the old, old things passed away. Behold, all things are new. People talk about it's literally a new species, and that seems strange, but it's true in the way the Bible talks about it. Listen to what Ephesians 2.1 says. And you, he made alive. That means you were dead, right? But how many of you guys were still moving around and went to school and, you know, was doing life? Did, did that feel like dead? <laughs> not in your phys- physical body, not in your soul, but in your spirit, you were dead. It says, he made alive, and you he made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. It says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Because your spirit was dead, you were connected to the spirit of this age, the spirit of disobedience, the enemy. You were walking according to the ways of the world, which are not neutral. Understand that. It's not neutral. So you were connected to a spirit. It just wasn't a holy one, right? Whether you're aware of it or whether you weren't doesn't make any difference. So let me just give you some examples of what happens when you come alive in Christ. Your spirit awakens and then begins to have a relationship with the spirit of God, right? And it's a direct connection. And it's different than learning scripture and all those other things. It's something that happens inside of us. So look at, what it, look at how it works. This is Simeon. That Jesus, this is a story of the, you know, of the uh, Christmas story. Uh, they bring Jesus as a baby. Simeon's there, and I won't get into all his story, but he was, a, he was prophetic. He heard the voice of God. Listen to what it says. This is Luke 2, 26 and 27, part of it. It says, and it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit. How? It doesn't say how it was revealed to him. So somehow Simeon was waiting on the Lord or praying or minding his own business or weaving a basket. We don't know, right? But at some point, the Holy Spirit revealed something to him. He dropped something into him that he knew it was his, he knew it was the Holy Spirit. He knew it wasn't his own mind or his own understanding, right? It says, and and, uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Messiah. Now, if you were a Jew, that is not a small thing, right? And I, I don't know whether he told people or didn't tell people, but this was a powerful truth that the Holy Spirit dropped inside of him. You're not gonna die until you see the Messiah. Can you imagine him on that day? On that day, listen to what it says. Because he couldn't just pick a day. Could, could he be at the temple every single day? Maybe, maybe not. But listen to what it says. It says, um, verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple on the day that Mary and Joseph were bringing baby Jesus to be what we would call dedicated, right? By the Spirit on that day, Simeon's minding his own business. I don't know, maybe he's praying. I like to think he's praying. But he hears the voice of God say, you need to go to the temple right now. And he heard, he heard that somewhere in his spirit. He didn't hear it with his natural ears. And he went to the temple and imagine, just imagine him, the promise that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. And he walks in and he sees that baby. And he's like, now I know why the Holy Spirit told me to come here today. And he lifts up the baby. Go read this in Luke chapter 2. It's one of the most powerful, powerful things you've ever seen. And it's all by God's spirit. Lifts up that baby and he sees, he sees something that, that very, very few people got to see. 
So here's another one. Paul and his team being, going out into the mission field and reaching people for Jesus. Acts 16, 7, it says, After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. We don't know how the Spirit did not permit them. The Bible doesn't say, right, at least in this, issue, in, in this particular arena. But we recognize, when you go back and read it in different translations, some places it says the Holy Spirit arrested them. That's a powerful word. He grabbed hold of them and said, hey, don't go there. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Paul and I want to reach, reach people with the gospel and I plan to go to Mysia, I'm, I'm going to Mysia. Why? Because Jesus needs to be, be proclaimed. Why? Because those people need the declaration of Jesus, right? Yes. And somehow in God's timing and in God's wisdom, he says, but I don't want you to do it right now. I want you to do something else. And so they wait. He has a dream. The Holy Spirit speaking to them in a dream. And the next thing he knows, he goes to Europe and he brings the gospel for the first time into Europe, out of the Middle East and into Europe, into Macedonia. It's a beautiful picture of God taking the direction of the kingdom and the, the direction of the plans for the whole world and where we get Western, you know, culture, everything about that you studied about the Greeks, all of, everything about that, there's this wild connection where the gospel meets that European culture, and it changed everything. And part of that is why you and I are here in America, living in a post-Christian world. Thank God that it was founded on Christian principles and values. But that changed, literally changed the world and put our nation together in, in so many ways. Here's what's really interesting. Matthew 4, 4, 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. If, let me just say this. If Jesus was led by the Spirit, do you think maybe you should be? Right? So why is that important? Because so often we paint Jesus with the wrong brush. We say he's the Son of God. He was unique. And all these things are true. It, two things can be true at once. He was the unique Son of God. But the Bible says he, he laid down his his, his uh, activity, if you will, his omniscience in so many ways, and he submitted to the move of the Holy Spirit. He said, I don't do it unless the Father shows me. I don't say it unless I hear the Father saying it, right? So he's being led by the Spirit. He speaks to people. He looks at people. He senses things. He gets words of knowledge. All the things that he's doing is something that you and I are supposed to do. The things that Jesus did, we're supposed to do. We're not just supposed to be like him in character, we're also supposed to be like him in, in his competencies, all the things that he did. It's part of what we're supposed to do. So how do you do that? You can't be led by the Spirit unless you grow in the Spirit. Remember, you start out as babes, and you start walking, and then you start running, and then, you know, you, you, you just get there. So li listen to this it's about growing in the Spirit. Um, uh, and again, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, but did you know that Jesus grew in the Spirit? See, that's a concept that if we're not careful, we'll miss it. Why? Because it, Jesus is modeling this in front of his disciples. Why? Because he wants them not just to say what he said, but to do what he did, right? Because he's doing the same thing. He's modeling a, a, a fully submitted human being to the Father's will. That's what he's modeling before us. So Jesus grew in spirit, Luke 2.40. It says, And the child, which is Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. You should also grow in the Spirit. If Jesus grew in the Spirit, don't we think that we need to? So listen to 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 14 and 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So you hear all the time, like, do you pray? If I were to ask everybody in this room, do you pray? I'll bet every one of you would say yes. But if I'd ask you, does your spirit pray? 
would you say yes? Right? Because those are different things. And he, and he points this out. He says, but my mind is unfruitful. So literally, when I'm praying in the Spirit, my mind, as powerful as my mind can be, is not being fruitful because I'm connected to the Spirit of God directly. I'm not using my mind to, to, to connect to God. It doesn't mean I can't use my mind. I'm just saying if you're praying in the Spirit, it's not the same thing. He goes on. He says, what is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I'll sing with the Spirit, and I'll sing with the mind also. So, so what he's saying this. He's saying, I can pray in English or my native language, and, and it, my mind is fruitful. It's helpful. If I pray in, in tongues to all of you guys, how helpful is that to you? Not at all. It's super helpful to me. It blesses me. But remember the concepts of the Holy Spirit is when he moves among us, it's to bring unity. It's to serve others. And so if I just pray in tongues a bunch, what's going to happen to you? You're just going to go, I don't know what's going on. Sounds crazy to me, right? So it's powerful to understand this. The Amplified Bible reads it this way. It says, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. Isn't that crazy? But my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me actually is praying. So when you pray in tongues, we're, we're doing a study in our community groups right now about the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. And, and tongues is interesting in, in a lot of ways, but one way is, is there's a, there is a, a personal prayer language, if you will. In other words, something is just for you, and then you can use that same prayer language to minister corporately into the body. So if you pray in tongues by yourself or in a group of believers that are all believers and you're all praying in tongues, then you are, you are growing your spirit. You are lifting your spirit. You're praying things to God by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit in you, you're praying, Right? But it's unfruitful to anybody out there. If everybody's doing it and everybody's a believer, it's fine. You're all being fruitful to yourselves. But if you're having a meeting, there's an expect, ex, expectation at some point that it not, it's not about you. It's about serving others with the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is what 1 Corinthians talks about over and over and over. So when you pray in tongues, your spirit is in direct contact with God, who is spirit. God is love. What else is God? God is spirit. You are spirit if you come alive in Christ. So Jude 1, 19, this is interesting, 19 and 20. It says, these are the ones who cause division. So he's, he's going after some people who are making a mess in the church. He said, these are the ones who cause divisions. What are they like? They're worldly-minded and devoid of the spirit. These people are in church. <laughs> and they might be the pastor. They might be the leaders. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. This is Jude. He says, these are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, you know he's talking to scriptures because he says beloved. But you, beloved, or no, he's talking to believers. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Your mind's unfruitful. You can build yourself up by studying and, and learning the character and the nature of God and ingesting Scripture because it changes, it helps to renew your mind, changes the way you think. But if you will walk in the things of the Spirit, the Bible says that you can build yourself up in your holy faith, in your most holy faith. How? By praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, waiting on the Holy Spirit to move among us. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Paul, probably one of the smartest guys that ever lived. This is not just from Christian circles. This is people who study the Bible as literature said, Paul was a brilliant, brilliant man. And this is what he said. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. 
Like, that's a pretty bold statement. Like, I bet there were some spiritual people that he connected with, right? And he's like, you guys, I pray in the Spirit. All the, I'm praying in tongues. All the, it's amazing that I even speak English. Well, he wasn't speaking English, but you get my point, right? <laughs> so what happens when, when we begin to do this individually, and then we come together, something magical happens. I hate to use that phrase, but I'm just using, doing it for dramatic effect. Something powerful begins to happen when all of us who've come alive in our spirit, who've learned how to build ourselves up in, in the Holy Spirit, build ourselves up in our spirit, growing and becoming mature in that arena, and then when we come together, something begins to happen. So this is a scripture that it, it's, a, it's amazing to me. First of all, after COVID, people were like, I'm not sure if I even need to go to church physically. I can just watch it online. If you're believing that, well, you're here, so you're not. So we're talking to the wrong people anyway. But if you were, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. How? Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more. In other words, come together physically so you can minister to one another in the spirit. And also you can just get a hug by Loretta because that also, you know, that does something powerful to us. Amen? The ministry of hugs, she has it. So what would happen when the church gathers together? So here's an example online, a well-known cessationist church says the New Testament says that when churches gather, they should read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. Because the Bible says in Timothy 4.13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Churches should read Scripture out loud in their gatherings. 100% true, I believe it. But you go and read that, that statement, and they're trying to have a personal relationship with the Bible. You cannot... Have a personal relationship with the Bible. It is not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. I love the Bible. I'm so thankful for the Bible. But the Bible is not the Spirit. The Bible says the letter of the law will kill you, but the Spirit will give you life. And we're going to talk about that next in the series. How that happens. The difference between rules and walking in a relationship with the God who loves you and made you and has rescued you, right? So again, it, they never met, mentioned the, this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They cut that valve off. Their other valves are allowing the grace of God to flow through, but just not that one. So I love the Bible. I said that. The first item under our, under, under our what we believe on our About Us page on the website says this. We believe the Bible to be the inspired, infallible, authoritative, inerrant word of God. We couldn't find any more adjectives to put in there. Right? We love Scripture. Scripture is the guardrail. It's the place that keeps us safe. But in the Scripture, it tells about Jesus. Jesus said to the Pharisees, to the legal people, he goes, if you read this and not seen me, how is that possible? He couldn't understand how they could read the Bible, fall in love with the Bible, praise the Holy Bible, and never see him. And my consternation is, how is we, have we as a modern church missed the Spirit of God when this is his age? The age of the church is also the age of the Spirit. And we have missed him and misunderstood him and misaligned him and said terrible things about him. And he still loves us and wants to work among us. That's a good thing. So again, we believe in the scriptures being the guardrails. We, we have an orthodoxy. All that means is what we believe about God, the church, the world, and all things. That's the thing that you, you need to have a proper orthodoxy. You, and you get that from scripture, right? But you also need 
what's called an orthoproxy, which is how we live out Scripture in the church, the world, our families, and all things. How we allow the relationship of God to move us into doing what Jesus did in the earth, right? Because we're still on mission. So I want to spend some time in the interest, this interesting passage about church gatherings in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. My Bible entitles this, Order in Church Meetings. So do you ever wonder what should church look like when you gather together, right? So the best way for me to explain this is in preparing a meal. If you're going to prepare a certain kind of meal, the, the ingredients are non-negotiable, right? So if you're, going to put, if you're going to make a vegetable soup and you don't have any vegetables, you're not making a vegetable soup. I'm sorry. You're making, I don't know what you're making, but it ain't vegetable soup, right? So, so what does that look like? The ingredients are non-negotiable. You can put that vegetable soup together however you want to with all kinds of different vegetables, and it may be amazing, it may be terrible. Maybe you don't know how to cook. I don't know, but I'm just saying the ingredients are non-negotiable, right? So this is what the Bible talks about. It's not just about what you do, but how you do it, but a lot of how you do it is, is given in Scripture, but some of it is not. So the methodologies we can change. So different order, different methods, different ways, same nutrition, Different gifts of the Spirit, same Spirit. See how it works in 1 Corinthians 12. Our church in Bible school, um, Pastor Hood, he was reading some, this scripture, this particular arena, and I'm going to read it to you in just a second. And he said, Lord, I want all those things, but we're not seeing it. They were in Assemblies of God Church. They were Spirit-filled. They weren't seeing the things of the Spirit move in the way that they knew that they should. And he's praying this over and over again. He said one time, he, he said he remembered teaching a lesson about praying. It wasn't just talking to God. It was all, actually also listening to God. So he said he thought he might use that. So he stopped talking for a minute. He said, as soon as I did, the Holy Spirit came to me and said, David, his name was David Hood. He said, David, when do you give me time? Man, you talk about a rebuke. Because he had all the ingredients, but he never, he never cooked. <laughs> right? He had all the ingredients, but he never put them in the soup. He, he never looked at, he just, he's like, we love soup. Do you? When's the last time you had soup? Never. But we love soup. See how silly that is. So he created, they, they were doing typical church, Sunday school, and then they would do worship. And then he would, he would preach a message. And he figured out that he was trying to do two different things the same way. So he said, we're just going to move the teaching to the front side. We're not even going to have worship. We're just going to do it on the front side. I'm going to teach. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And our Sunday service is going to be the ministry of the Spirit. I just did the ministry of the Word. I taught. I preached. I explained. I gave examples. Now we're going to do it together. And their church began to explode, especially with the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It just they would worship, and as they would worship, the Holy Spirit would move in signs and wonders and gifts and every wonderful thing. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life, way ahead of their time. So what does that look? Well, actually, it's way behind their time because they're doing it all the way up to the third century in the early church, right? But what was so powerful about that is he, he said, we're, we're not doing this right. I'm going to change the method. So that's why we got up this morning and said, Hey, we worship. We did 40-something minutes of worship this morning, just in case you were wondering. I know, it's good. But you know why? Not just because we want to keep telling Jesus the same words over and over again. It's not like he doesn't know it. 
It's good for us to say it. It's good for us to worship. And when we do that, we experience his presence. But when that happens, the Bible says he wants to walk among us. That was original intent in the book of Genesis, to walk in the cool of the day with his people. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will be among you. Remember when Jesus comes down in in the Christmas story? What's the phrase that we always use about Jesus? He, He comes down and he's Emmanuel. Anybody remember what that means? God with us. What do you think our services are supposed to be? Right? God with us. And so we create room during our worship time. As we worship, we talk, we talk to Rodney about this. That's why they do such a great job of trying to navigate this with us because we don't always know what's going to happen, but we create room for it. And we get into that in detail in, in the future. But I, I just want you to understand we're trying to create methodology so we can experience God, not just talk about him or know about him, but experience. So 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brothers? So he's just talked in 12 and 13 about the gifts of the Spirit, to do it with love and unity. It's one Spirit, so don't get all haughty about all that. So he says, here's how you do it. This is explaining. How is it then, brothers? Whenever you come together, whenever, anytime you come together, each of you, in other words, every single person has the ability to to do this. So let me just stop here for a second and pause and, and, and really just work this out. So often people have been taught because the other two gift sets, for example, if you have the gift of leadership or you have the gift of hospitality, it's a gift that's poured in you. It's a grace gift by the Father. He pours it into you. It's who you are. It is innate in you. That means it'll work even if you're not a Christian. That's crazy, right? But that gift's there. Same thing with the fivefold ministry gifts. He, gives, he doesn't give those to everybody, but he gives them to some. But when he gives it to them, you know who those people are. You know what a prophet looks like and an apostle and a teacher and an evangelist and a pastor. You know, you, you know who they are, right? And the danger is we use that same concept in the manifestation gifts and go, well, Alan Mitchell just has the gift of interpreting tongues, but not tongues. You know, Karen just has the gift of prophecy, but she can't ever do interpretation, you know, in tongues or words of, you know, words of knowledge. You, no, that's not how the Bible says severally as he wills. It means each one of us, when we're in the context of a, of, of a setting, we become available to the Holy Spirit to move in any of those gifts, any of them. That means every single one of you can move in all of those gifts. You just don't get to pick when. And that's what's crazy about it. When, uh, let me just back up and give you an example because I love how God's doing this. Last week at the end of the meeting, I felt to give you know, a, an opportunity for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just being honest with you right now. I didn't want to. You know why? Because I'm a good leader and I like things in order and I want you guys to be safe and I want to shepherd you and I don't want anything crazy to happen. And that's my brain. And I love my brain, but it's not in charge. Amen? So I said, okay, Holy Spirit, turns out you think you're God. I, maybe I should think you're God too and let you do this. So he did, and we give opportunity, and, and Lori comes up, who we know, we know her. She's moved in this gift before. She's awesome. Love Lori. She ain't perfect. Ask her. She'll tell you she's not perfect. But she gets up. She shares a message in tongues. We wait for a second. I share a little bit of what God is doing for the new people, and we give it some space, and nothing happens. And I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, There's 20 people in here I know of who have the gift of interpretation, who are happy to do it, including my wife. And I know her quite well. She's amazing. She could do it. Nothing. I'm like, Lord, I can do it. Nothing. And then I sense, oh, I want to do this through a new person. And my brain again went, no. Lord, I I counseled with him for a minute. And I said, Lord, that's, that's that's not how you ought to do this. 
Because I'm trying to teach this, you know, and explode the watch and talk about the parts. And then he's like, he explodes the watch and he puts the parts back together in a different way. And I'm like, would you, would you just stop? That's not helpful for my teaching gift, right? But it is. So here's what happened. This is amazing to me. We have a lady come in, Janet. Some of you guys met her. She stayed for the community group afterwards. She gives, she gives the interpretation. And the Bible says when those things happen, interpretation and, and tongues are kind of like, um, like prophecy, equal to prophecy. It's using two people to do something instead of one. It's beautiful. So it happens. It's a new person. And I, so I got up and I said, I said, maybe the Lord wants to use you this morning and you've never done this or you've, it's been a long time or whatever. And so my expectation was going to be other people in DCF who I know their character. See how I had it all planned out, right? I mean, I didn't because he did it at the end. But you see, this is how there's a difference between my mind and how he wants to actually do it. Janet shares everybody. I'm talking, all of our elders, all, all the deacons I've talked to, all the leaders in our church, people that are new to DCF, every single person said, 100% that was God. It was well done. It was unity. It was love. It was sandwich. Not 12, it, was, it was beautiful. Went up to Janet and said, Janet, thank you so much for being obedient. I know that had to be crazy scary because you're new. You don't, you don't know if we're going to bring out the snakes yet next. You don't know, right? So it took a lot of courage for her to do that. What's so beautiful, this is what she says to me. <laughs> she says, you know, I haven't been to church in over two years. And I'm like, No! God, that's, I can't tell that next week. Now, why, why did the Holy Spirit do I can tell you a bunch of reasons. I don't know them all, but I know one of them was for Janet. One reason was for her. Came alive, brought her into our fellowship faster than she had planned, I would imagine, right? And, and, and again, where, where that goes, that's up to her. But what I, I love so much about this is the Lord said, I'm going to use and I'm going to show the congregation I will use somebody they don't know. They still get to judge it. Because that's what the Bible says. Let someone prophesy or share these revelations. Let the others judge them or weigh carefully what is said is another scripture version. And so everybody in the room did that. Some of you even said, I think she, I knew she was going to do it before she did it. I knew it was her, right? What is the discerning? Of, when it happened, a bunch of you, the gift of discerning of spirits was that was not her spirit. That was not a demonic spirit. That was God's spirit working through her spirit. Wonderful. And we all celebrate and it's amazing, right? So that's one reason why God did. I would not have planned that that way in a million years, right? Too many things can go wrong. <laughs> so think of it this way. If you are planning as a family to make soup and you let your little kids help make soup, I mean, how much soup are you going to actually have when it's all said and done, right? It's going to be more of a mess than soup, potentially. But you know what you do? You, you don't keep them ever from making soup because then they turn into the generation that has to go eat every time out, you know, and pay money, right? What you do is you invite them in, you teach them about the ingredients, you teach them how to make the soup, and you let them do it and you teach them that when they make a mess, you don't clean the mess up for them. You teach them how to clean up their own mess and stop making messes. That's growing in the Spirit and growing in our maturity. We talk about all the time, the problem has never been the Holy Spirit. It's been immature responses to the Holy Spirit, where Paul talked to this church and said, you are doing more 
harm than good. Your meetings are doing more harm than good. He wasn't saying you should stop having meetings or stop doing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. No, no. He just said, you've been doing it wrong. Here's how to do it. Now get busy with it, right? It's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. So there's so many parts to this. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm I'm just going to go through them quick. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn and let one interpret. Paul's talking about order. There's an order that's expected in a meeting. It is not chaos. If you want chaos, go to the other spirit. That's what he does well, right? But God's a God of order, and it even says it. It says, verse 28, but if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. In other words, don't just make this about you. I've been in services, been in meetings where where people manifest a gift of, of the spirit, and it's all about their ego. And they're really powerful, and everybody's intimidated by them. And so they, in one sense, you know, it's, it's the, um, what's it called? The, uh, the island thing with the little kids again. Y'all, I, I, for whatever reason, my brain shut down. Um, Lord of the Flies, thank you. I, I was going to say Lord of the Rings, and that's sort of the same, but not really. So, <laughs> so it's just a bunch of immature people who are trying to lead the island, and nobody knows what they're doing, right? Because nobody's mature. And that's what happens in churches oftentimes. Verse 29, let two or, the, two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Let them weigh carefully what is being said by revelation. Why? Is it in, in God's character? Is it in God's nature? Is it motivated by love and not ego? Is it, is it a desire to serve others or just make themselves look pretty? What's, what's motivating? What's moving this? Mature believers in the assembly is what the Bible is saying should weigh carefully. That, mean, that doesn't mean you just put it up to a vote and go, hey, who thinks that was the Holy Spirit? Right? That's not how, it, that's poor leadership in the church. It goes on, verse 30, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Now here's something really interesting about this passage. That verse in almost every commentary, and I have a whole lot of commentaries I've collected over 30 something years. Almost every single commentary skips that verse. <laughs> literally, I mean, including some Pentecostal commentaries, just jumps right over it. So let me tell you what I think, because I should totally write a commentary, right? So this is what I think, because what I know about the things of the Spirit, that I believe that when a prophecy is given, when a revelation is given, it's given, the Bible talks about logos being the Bible, the, 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 you know, this is the foundational word of God, it's never changing, not ever. It's always been, it's always going to be, and it's, and it's going to be forever because Jesus is that logos. He is the word. This is, this is the, the, you know, the written down and spoken version of who, who Jesus is, right? That's what logos is. But then another word for word in the Bible is a word called rhema, and it means right now word. Logos means always word. The other one means right now word. Why? Because this prophecy, it says, this is interesting, it says at some point, prophecy is going to no longer be needed, nor will, be, nor will tongues be needed, nor will healing be needed. Why? Because you can be standing in the presence of the one who's done all of that, and it's settled and it's finished, and there's no need for it anymore. You'll be known, you'll know as you're known, Scripture says. It's the most powerful thing, draws me to want to be in heaven, right? But there's a mission to do here. So what does that look like? It looks like when God is coming and he's moving among us, that he would do something in a moment of revelation for right now. But here's what happens about now. We live in time, and now never stays now. Have y'all noticed? I know, super profound. Have you ever noticed that, right? So what happens in a meeting? There's a word that comes out. Then there's an expectation that we, God's people, will do something with it. Let's say 
Um, this morning, I want to minister. I want to minister to your broken. What was the word we had this morning about about living or believing lies, right? And, and casting down imaginations. So the Holy Spirit comes and says that. Now, what if all the people who were doing that this morning said, "You know, Lord, thank you. I'm going to do that right now." And you settle it right then. It takes you like two seconds, and you're done. And the prophet keeps prophesying. What's he doing? He's now he's. He's in the future. I mean, he's in the now, but everything that was supposed to happen is in the past already, so we don't need that word anymore. So, and I've seen this happen. Someone would get up, and then they want to argue about who should prophesy, prophesy and Scripture speaks to that and says, if, if God's already done and finished with this one, let that person sit down and let the other, other person speak up. Why? Because God is wanting to reveal now words so that we can receive the blessing from them. It's a small, simple thing. But it's incredible helpful when you think about how God works in a meeting. So there's so much more. Verse 31, you can all prophesy one by one. You all can prophesy. Hear that? Every one of us, each one. It keeps going back to this. Don't sit there and say, I could never do this or I'm not supposed to. You are. You're supposed to walk in this. Verse 32, this is a big one. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What does that mean? That means like when old school Pentecostalism, our meetings, the methods, the way we put the soup together is if Lori had a word like last Sunday, she would jump up and she would scream it out so that everybody could hear it, interrupting potentially whatever was going on in the meeting, right? And we did that. A lot of times we would see God work with that because you could, you could almost feel like, oh, it's a moment for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how we did it in, others, in, in Pentecostal circles, right? Nothing wrong with that. So that's one methodology. But we say, because the Spirit is subject to the prophet, come and share that with us, especially as it's new. As we get going, maybe we don't do that. Maybe we change the method. But right now it's new. She comes up, says, hey, I feel like this. Now I can come up and I can cooperate with the Holy Spirit who made me an overseer in the church. To do what? To administrate what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do and make it neat and orderly at least as much as I can, right? And so last week worked out amazing. I wanted to take credit for all of it. I wanted to get up here and go, you know, guys, as I was praying, the Lord told me there's a lady named Janet going to come. And I would have been a liar from the pit of hell if I had said that, right? Had no idea. But I did know that creating that space to administrate that my gift and the gift of administration in me would work, the gift of leadership would work, the fivefold ministry gift is working, and it happened, and it was beautiful, and there was tremendous encouragement and exhortation in our body. Beautiful, right? So, so much more. Verse 33, but God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. He's the author of peace. Let me say it this way. The meeting may not look like you think the meeting ought to look, but it won't be confusing if you do it right. It'll be peace. It may not be the way God's version of order. Obviously, I've just explained it. Doesn't look like my version of order sometimes. But it was peaceful. Full of peace because he's the spirit of peace, right? So going back to that, we create that space. that, that the, the spirit of the prophet subject to the prophet. Self-control, interestingly enough, is a fruit of the spirit. Prophecy is a gift of the spirit. Remember what 1 Corinthians 12 said? Same spirit, different workings, different gifts, right? Even fruit, same spirit. We want to obey him. So let me finish up with this. Um, one of my favorite stories is about Paul going to Corinth. Acts 17, he's in Athens. He's preaching the sermon. It's called the Areopagus Sermon. He preaches this message. 
I'll just read you a part of it, uh, Acts 17.30. He said, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Nothing new. A lot of the gods called people to repent. So he's speaking to all these people. And he says, Because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's ordained. Also nothing new. <laughs> that was not a new truth. Now we're coming to something new. He says, He has given assurance of this. In other words, he's proven that Jesus is the guy to do that. To all by raising him from the dead. Now listen to what verse 32 says. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead or the supernatural, that he, you know, God was just allowed out of his box, right? <laughs> he says, heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. You go and read the story. Paul, as, we, as far as we know, Paul never went back to Athens. He never wrote a letter to the church in Athens. As far as we know, the church in Athens did not do well, Right? It was just a real, real challenge because most people didn't want anything to do with it. So now it goes on. It says, Acts 18, the next chapter, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth. So that's the book of, that's the timeline, the book of Acts. Now the letter he writes, the first letter he writes to the city that he went and spent 18 months in after he went to Athens. Remember Athens? He preaches this amazing message. It was, he reasoned with them. He did all those things, human wisdom. It was a great sermon. The moment he talks about the supernatural, they shut him down. So this is, he said, I've learned something. See how he, even Paul grew in the spirit, right? We forget he wasn't perfect Paul. That's why Jesus tells the story in the gospels of, of the, you know, 17 year old disciples who were probably just like us at 17, if not better. And, and then the story of their maturity as they become apostles, right? He's telling a story of growth. And this is what it says, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And when I came to you, so he says, when you come together, this is what happens, right? He says, I came to you as a church, and I brought my leadership gift. And when I did, he says, I did not come with superiority of speech, of wisdom, that's natural wisdom, Sophia, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined, I made a decision. Before, he made a decision to reason with the Athenians. See that? But now he's making a different decision. And he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Why? Same reason I was in weakness and fear and much trembling last week when all that was going on. Lord, I'm trusting you in my natural sense. I'm helpless, but in my spirit, I'm strong. He goes on, he says, In fear and in much trembling. Verse 4, And my message... And my preaching were not in persuasive words of natural wisdom. That's what that word means, Sophia. But in demonstration. Another version, that word is the same word that's translated manifestation in 1 Corinthians 12. So he's saying, when I came, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, natural wisdom. But in a demonstration or manifestation of the Holy Spirit and of power, dunamis. Same word in 1 Corinthians 12. And he goes on, he says, so that, in other words, I'm doing this for a reason. Why? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And again, that's the same word as um, 1 Corinthians 12, Dunamis. So what was Paul saying? He's saying, I learned something in Athens. Reason is wonderful a lot of the times. It's helpful, but it has a limitation. Let me just say this to you who are thinkers, because I'm one of those people. That doesn't mean you're smarter than anybody else. It's not what I'm saying. It's just you're a thinker. God made you this way. Your brain is not the problem. 
Your brain unsubmitted to your spirit is the problem. Because what's supposed to happen is when these gifts work, your spirit is alive in Christ. You're waiting on Him. You're giving Him room to speak. You're having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? And then He drops something in your spirit. It's, your spirit is alive. He doesn't drop it into your mind first. This is so important because nobody talks about this part. He doesn't drop it into your mind first. He drops it into your spirit. So you instantly know something that you didn't know before, or you see something, or you feel something, or there's a concept of something happens supernaturally from spirit to spirit, and then it drops into your mind. Let me give you some examples, because and I know I'm going a little bit long. I apologize, but it's so helpful. You, you're, you're waiting on the Lord, and you, you sense a color. Or you see a color. We had a friend who did this. She would often see the color purple. She was the same woman when she got baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. She spoke in Latin. Very smart lady. She would come to us and she was also an artist. And she said, when I pray, she said, and I feel the presence of God. She said, the color purple just explodes inside of me. She goes, does that mean anything in the Bible? Anybody want to help her? (laughs) Royalty, right? She's having an experience with the royal of all royals, and purple explodes inside of her. Do you know what happened when she understood that? It lit, it lit a fire in her. She's like, that's the most, like he speaks to me as an artist. I didn't know he could do that. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> so I'll give you another example um, and how this works out and why it's so important because he drops it in your spirit and then he, and then he presents it to your mind. Your, your spirit presents it to your mind so you can do something with it. Right? That's what we've been talking about. So here's an example. There's a story of a, of a prophetic guy. He's ministering in a service with his pastor. And there's a bunch of leaders and other church leaders in the room. And he sees a picture. In this picture, he sees over, the, over somebody's head uh, a dollar symbol, but it's inside of a dark, dark cloud. So he prophesies to the guy. He points him out. He says, would you stand up, sir? And he does. And he said, I just feel like there's something wrong with your finances, and you just need to repent. Right? So, so the guy's like, what? So he's not doing anything wrong. He's a businessman. He's like, what in the whole world? So he's embarrassed a little bit, of, you know, like what did that do? It embarrassed him in front of other people in the community. And so he goes away. He talks to his pastor. The pastor said, hey, you know, he's obviously got it wrong. Let's go talk to him. So they come back and talk to the pastor and the prophetic guy. First of all, well done. That's the right way to do that, right? It wasn't helpful that the guy did, the, did it wrong, but it was helpful that brothers came and talked it out so they could grow and learn and do it better. Come, come to find out, they have the conversation. He said, why would you say that, you, you know, that, that he was doing something terrible with his finances and he would repent? He goes, because it was, a, it was a cloud with a dollar symbol in it. So I just assumed. We all know what that means, right? So, so, so the pastor smacks him across the face. No, he didn't. But he just challenged. He goes, he goes, don't say more than what the Holy Spirit is saying. So the Spirit drops this picture in his head. I mean, in his, mind, in his spirit. Drops the picture in his spirit, then his spirit presents it to his mind, and then his mind went all immature and did a dumb thing so he could look good in front of the crowd. A little bit of ego, a little bit I want to I want to impress people, a little bit I want to challenge that guy, a little bit of judgmentalism, a little bit of a lot of stuff, right? That he needed to grow out of. And the process then was, and we talked about this, we'll teach into this more, that you get a revelation, which is what God is saying. Then there's the interpretation. What does that mean? What does God mean by that? And you don't always know what he means by that. And then the last thing is an application. What should you do about what God said 
and what he means, and you need some action steps. And sometimes as a prophetic person, as a person of the Spirit, you'll get all three of those things for a person. Sometimes you'll just get one or just get two. And the truth is, the first one is the easiest one. Because the other one, you have to learn to be mature about what you saw. So what if he would have said, hey man, (laughs) would you stand up please? And he said, sure. I see above your head a dark cloud with a dollar signal. I have no idea what that means. I mean, I'm sure the dollar symbol probably means money. I'm sure the cloud probably means not good. I, I don't know. I'm just saying, this is what I see. Don't know what it means. Don't know what you should do about it. If he's a believer what would he have done? He would have walked away from that meeting. He would have said, Holy Spirit, that's crazy. Like I'm a businessman and I'm not doing anything wrong with my money. The thought pops in his head. I wonder if somebody else in my business is doing something wrong with the money. And he would have gone, which it turns out he found out after the fact that this happened, but his business partner was stealing money from the company and left the country with the money and he was at a huge loss. All while he's trying to go back and talk to this immature prophet (laughs) about what the Holy Spirit actually said, when if he'd have just done it that way, he would have been, he would have gone back, he would have checked it, and he would have rescued all the money. He would he would have called out the person who was doing wrong, maybe converted him, maybe sent him to prison. I don't know. I just know this: that if it was done well, everything that the Spirit intended for that picture would have happened the way the Spirit intended it to happen. But He got all up in the Spirit's business and was immature. So here's my challenge. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, please. If you came up and you didn't understand those things of the Spirit or you thought it was all wrong, repent. Take on a new mind. Let God transform your thinking. How? Go back to Scripture. Don't just believe what I have to say. Go back to Scripture and see what it actually says, not what your cessationist pastor or Bible school teacher told you. Right? And then when you do that, what happens is now you can clean the slate and you can start and say, God, this is the most exciting thing I've ever been a part of. Because now you can move in me in the supernatural. Now I'm not subject to the economy. I'm not subject to whoever gets in office next year. I'm not subject to the the challenges that's happening in Russia. And I'm not subject to that in the same way that everybody else is because I have a cheat code. I am now connected by my spirit to the spirit that created this whole universe and he will move in and through me and he will bless the world while the world's trying to tear itself apart. He will bless me and he will bless the world in the process. But it will not happen if you don't take on a new mind and renew your thinking. Let your thinking be transformed, be renewed by thinking a new way, thinking biblically. And when you do, it's going to open up the door for God to move in ways that we have, we can't even imagine. Would you stand with me? I apologize again for going long. I'm trying to build foundations in this stuff and it gets, it gets a little bit out of hand. I'm going to let Karen kind of finish up and pray over us. Thanks so much. Um, Thanks Pastor Dave for that message. Um, This morning, if you're uh, with us or if you're watching online, our ministry team just took some time to pray and um, to really listen and hear what the Lord may have in store for you. So we're going to put up some words on the screen. If any of those resonate with you and you would like to have prayer, our ministry team, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come up front and so that you will be ready. And if there's something there and you'd like to have prayer, we'd love to pray with you. 
Also, if there's anything that you need prayer for, we would love to pray together with you. So thank you so much. We hope you have a great week. If you're interested in the community groups, they are um, gathering in multiple times throughout the city this week. We have one this afternoon at 1 o'clock in our cafe if you want to join and be a part of that. Um, So we hope you have a great week, guys. Have Have a good one.